So tonight we are in <clears throat> Genesis, journey through Genesis. I want to say a prayer and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, God, illuminate these wonderful stories, the truths in them to us. I pray, God, we would see Jesus in them. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So we are in journey through Genesis, part 19, Genesis 21, part 2, and Genesis 22, part 1. So a little review and introduction. We, we saw where Sarah finally had Isaac. And this was huge, 24, 25 years in the making. It was a turning point in the story of man's redemption. And so we saw where Isaac was born, his name meant laughter. It was hilarious that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman could have a child. And just a funny story, an awesome story. But finally, Isaac was born. Isaac is called the seed of Abraham. Now, there's somebody else known in the Bible as the seed of Abraham. Can you guess who that is? It would be Jesus Christ. That was a trick question. <laughs> Nobody wins my mug. Uh, it would be Jesus. David Guzik relays the similarities between Isaac and Jesus. Both were specially promised sons, referred to as the seed of Abraham. Both were born after a period of delay. Both of their mothers were assured by God's omnipotence. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord said to Sarah, and Mary heard these words, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Both were given names rich with meaning before they were born. Isaac means laughter. Jesus means Jehovah has become our salvation. Both births occurred at God's appointed time. Both were miraculous births, and both births were accompanied by joy. And so some similarities, but that's not the extent of them. We'll see some more here shortly. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Everybody say scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Because uh, Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Now notice it was Ishmael who scoffed at Isaac. Ishmael was 14 years old when Isaac was born. He was old enough to know that he was not as special as Isaac, 
He wasn't the promised son. Of course, he didn't understand all the spiritual ramifications of this, but he knew Isaac was very special and that his very existence, Ishmael's that is, was, well, it was due to a mistake on the part of Abraham. So Ishmael was scoffing. It's Another translation says mocking. The Hebrew means to laugh. Now Isaac's name means laughter, but this, this particular Hebrew word is different. It means to laugh, to scorn, to toy with. And so when Mama Bear Sarah sees this cat Ishmael mocking her son, she tells Abraham to kick out this Egyptian woman and her son. It's like Ishmael objectified Isaac, laughing at him, toying with him, making fun of him, and Hagar uh, was okay with it. So Sarah objectifies them both and doesn't even refer to them by name. Get rid of that Egyptian and her boy. You hear what I'm saying? And so Sarah, uh, Abraham, you know, he's, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. He's in a jam. Now, to his credit, Abraham never did want to leave anyone behind. We see this in the story. We've seen it already several times from Terah, Haran, Lot, to now Hagar and Ishmael. But God knew that for Abraham to be who he was supposed to be and for Isaac to be who he was supposed to be, then Ishmael and Hagar had to go. There had to be a separation. In this story, we're reminded once again that everybody's not going to make the trip with you. You've got to sever some relationships to get where God's trying to get you to go. There are some people you're not going to bring them up. They're going to bring you down. There's some people that you're not going to win. They're going to hold you back. So let me go ahead and say this right here. That's why it's vital. That's why it's vital that we connect to people when they visit our church. We have a small window of opportunity. When someone visits, and especially when they have a God moment, and we fail to connect with them, their old carnal friends out in the world are going to start trying to talk them out of what God is doing in their lives. And if they, if they cut off those friends trying to stay connected to what God's doing, but they don't have any new friends, in the church, then they're going to end up going right back more likely than not. It's not on them. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not on them to connect with us. It's on us to connect with them. We have to take the initiative. How many of you remember? Maybe you can remember back when you first started coming around and you needed some help. You needed some support. 
I'm not a therapist. My wife, she, she's a lot further down that road than I am. But the thing is, what's uh, one of the most successful therapies is what? Group therapy. Group, uh, the group, there's strength in numbers. And, and when somebody is making this radical lifestyle change and, and they're not connected, they need interpersonal connections at church. Now, we're working hard this year to try to make those connections, strengthen those connections, give opportunities for those connections. That's why our small groups are so important. That's why Discover Life is so important. That's why uh, coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays is so important, meeting outside of church. Those things are very, very important. We live in a world that's more connected than ever and less connected than ever. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Snapchat, Pinterest, right? We, we've got 3,219 3, friends on social media, but nobody to hang out with. Nobody to go out to eat with. One of our goals for 2018, as I preached on Vision Sunday, is to create a culture of connection at LifePoint more than ever before. Seriously, folks, I've been convicted about this. We have got to connect Got to connect. So, old Abraham is having a hard time letting go. Now, this this Hagar passage about kicking out the bondwoman, there's a correlation in the New Testament in the book of Galatians chapter 4, and I feel like we ought to check it out. We ought to look at it. So, let's look at Galatians chapter 4. Jason, I didn't give you a heads up. Galatians chapter 4. Starting with verse 21, listen to this. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do hear. Uh, you who do bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, that persecution, you recognize that. That's when the scoffing was taking place. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. What does that mean? Well, in the church at Galatia, Jewish Christians were trying to convince Gentile Christians that they had to obey all of the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. Paul said this was like Ishmael taunting. Mocking Isaac, 
They were saying it was Christ and the keeping of the Mosaic law that saved people. And they claimed Abraham as their father, just like Ishmael did. But Paul turns it around and says, I know who your daddy is, but who's your mama? Is it Hagar or is it Sarah? The point was Ishmael was born of a slave, born according to the flesh, while Isaac was born of a free woman, Sarah, but according to promise. So these Judaizers, which are trying to get the Christians to do the Old Testament law, these Judaizers promoted a relationship with God based on the flesh. But the gospel of Jesus Christ offers liberty in Jesus. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And so that's the promise. We receive that through faith. So even as Ishmael and his descendants persecuted Isaac and his descendants, we shouldn't be surprised when carnal Christians persecute those who follow God in faith through the promise. When we see ourselves saved, boy, this is important. This is good right here. When we see ourselves as saved by anything other than the finished work of Christ, we are in trouble, folks. Now, I believe in living a holy life, a godly life. I mean, I believe in standards of holiness. I believe in living a a good, clean life, forsaking sin. Bunches and bunches of scripture for that. But I know people, I seriously do, who are not even Christians, who live good, moral lives. And they're not saved because it's not that stuff. That's not what makes the difference in going to heaven. Don't get me wrong. I I believe in living a good life. I believe in standards of holiness. I believe in drawing lines. And the person who says, I don't believe in drawing lines, just lied. Because they just drew a line. I've been on both sides of the fence, man. I've argued all kind of issues. I'm just saying, I believe in living a good life. But if I start leaning on my performance and my behavior to get me into heaven, brothers and sisters, I am on my way to bondage right there. I'm in it on my way there. The freedom comes in recognizing it's all because of Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet this sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That kind of mentality. So in response to what he's done, I live a better life. And, and I'm hoping it's getting better and better, more and more sanctified, set apart, holy. But, but it's, not, it's not that that has brought me in the relationship. It's the blood of Jesus that brought me in the relationship. Thank God for the blood. We used to sing it, right? Thank God for the blood. And so here you have these Judaizers. It's so cut and dry. It's not as cut and dry today because you don't have people walking around trying to get you to obey the Old Testament law per se. There are some. But the idea is, is, is this. It's simply because of what Jesus has done that I'm in this relationship with the Almighty and anything else that I do It's because of that. Amen? Are you with me? So, that's what was going on in Galatia. 
And uh, God said, cast them out. Now, God didn't abandon Hagar or Ishmael. I struggle with that name, Hagar. I don't like to get hung up on it, but when I say Hagar, I think of that old cartoon, Hagar the Horrible. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Back in the day, we used to have funny papers, children, the comics. Now you have graphic novels and all that kind of stuff, and nobody even knows what a newspaper is. It's something online, you know. Uh, So anyhow, Let's go back to uh, Genesis. Let's look at verses 14 through 16. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, lifted up her voice, and wept. Now, she thought it was over. This is fascinating to me. First of all, what what poor provisions Abraham gave them. Like just a canteen. I'm sorry, girl. Sorry, son. Come give daddy a hug. Y'all got to go. Here's a canteen. You know, like, go out in the desert. Bye. I mean, I don't don't know why he didn't load up a bunch of animals. He had the ability to do it. Maybe it was Sarah. And don't you give him any of our stuff. You know, like, maybe it was that, you know. I don't know. Well, man, gives him a canteen, basically, and sends him out in the desert. She's crying, thinking it's all over. Verse 17 and 18. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God. Notice that. The angel of God. We see angels all throughout the book of Genesis. And in Abraham's life in particular. We saw them meeting with him and rescuing Lot and talking to him about their, the plans that God had. So here again. The angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, this is funny to me, this is New King James, what ails you, Hagar? You know? <laughs> Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. I, this is fascinating because he heard the lad. God heard the voice of the lad. She's the one in the previous verse lifting up her voice and weeping, but apparently the lad was making some noise too because God said, I heard the lad. Fascinating. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. You know, she was about a bow shot away. He became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, she was Egyptian, and so they stayed in the wilderness. This is fascinating. God took care of Hagar and Ishmael. Now, it was because of Abraham, and he helped. Hagar to see a well 
that apparently had been there all along. She had not seen it. I don't know if it was veiled, a cloaking device. Like, I don't know what was stopping her from seeing this well, but he opens her eyes, and she sees this well of water, not a bucket of water, not a canteen, but a well of water. And she, you know, gets, she has water there. So God takes care of her and Ishmael in the wilderness. Verse 22, and it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and this other guy, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. Abraham said, I, I will swear. So they're making a covenant when you swear. That's, that's covenant language. Abraham rebuked Abimelech, uh, Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abram, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my land, and they that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with this other guy, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So Abraham makes this covenant, this non-hostility covenant with the Philistine king. Now, this is a different guy probably from the Abimelech we see in chapter 20. Uh, actually, Abimelech is a title. It's a title of a Canaanite king. It's, a, it's, a, it's like Nimrod was back at the Tower of Babel. So he makes this covenant, and he calls the place El Elam, the everlasting God. So, let's go to verse 1 of chapter 22, making some progress. Now, when I tell you that this chapter is pivotal, I'm telling you this one, this is the cat's meow right here. This is where Abraham is going to offer up Isaac. And the importance of this chapter cannot be underestimated. This is a magnificent chapter in your Bible, mentioned in the New Testament, in other places of the Old Testament. This is a massive piece of the puzzle of the redemption of mankind. And there's so much more than the surface I'm just telling you guys, listen, when I do Bible study, my curiosity is the way I think. I, I try to see beyond the surface. Julius, like, there's like a shallow thing, and then there's, there's stuff down deep, down below. 
And I, I, I try to dig into it. I pray, God, please show me the truth that's in there. I know there's something here. And you chew on it and chew on it, Ray, and meditate and think about it. What does this mean? There is so much meaning. And, and this is one of those chapters that is just pregnant with revelation, filled with revelation. And so we're going to try to extract some of that. Pray God will help us and reveal things to us. So it, it's, it's way more than you probably heard. God asked Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice, and people will say, well, he came from a culture of child sacrifice, and he wanted to know, God wanted to know, do you love me the same way that you loved your old gods, and the people loved those old gods that had child sacrifice, Molech and some of the other gods. And, and that's, that's fine, but I'm just telling you, it's so much more than that. This is powerful. So, fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Verse 1. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So let's just stop right there. It says, it came to pass after these things, after Hagar and Ishmael were dismissed, after he makes this covenant with a Canaanite king and names this place after the everlasting God, it says, then God tested him. How did God test him? And said to him. So God tested Abraham, the way he tests us all, he tested him with his word, with instruction. He tested him by giving him his word. What are you going to do with my word? When God speaks to you from his word, it's always a test. Will you obey or won't you obey? That's how you know if you pass the test. He tests us with his word. People will look at, I've had some sinus issues. Y'all pray for me forever now. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke these sinus issues. But people will say, I'm having sinus issues. This is just a test. We used to sing that choir song, Wesley. It's just a test. It's only a test. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just a test. It's only a test. (laughs) (laughs) And so we would say, well, this sinus infection I'm dealing with or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a test from the Lord. Or we would look at a season of lack. Man, the bank account dried up, the bills are all due, everything's late, bill collectors are calling. It's just a test, brother. It's only a test. Or we would look at a a season of sadness, some depression maybe, and we would say, well, God's testing me. Or even addictions and tragedies, calamities of all sorts, we've said things like that. God's just testing me. Again, God tested Abraham the way he tests us all. He's no respecter of persons. 
He tested him saying, giving him instruction. What are you going to do with my words, son? This is a test. Have you ever tested your kids? Now, here's what you're going to do. And then later, you're like, here's the reward. You pass the test. Or you're like, you know what? Give me your keys, boy. Give me your keys. You failed the test. What's this trash still doing in the wastebasket? I told you that the trash truck is out there right now, and you didn't take the can to the street. I'm just going to tell you one of the most depressing things about the empty nest syndrome is that Valerie will not take the trash can to the street when I tell her to. My sons, now Lizzie didn't do it, but my sons, man, I'm just like, Alexander, trash truck. I, I literally, anybody know what I'm talking about? I literally said, get out of that bed and run, try to catch the trash truck, you know. Because I ain't doing it. I told you to do it last night. (laughs) You failed the test. He tested Abraham saying. Now, this wasn't take the trash out. This was a difficult word. Very, very difficult. Take your son, your only son. Now, notice in the eyes of God, Ishmael didn't even count just a little bit in the redemptive plan of God. It's not that God didn't care for Ishmael. Obviously, he did. He took care of him in the wilderness. It's just that in the redemptive plan of God, it was not Ishmael. It was Isaac. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you Love. This is the first mention of love in the Bible. And of course, we see it in reference to a father's love for his only begotten son. What a beautiful picture. He continues, go to the land of Moriah. That's around Jerusalem. Go to the land of Moriah. To a mountain I will show you and offer him there as a burnt offering. This is a brutal request. It means kill him first and then burn him up till there's just ashes left. Can you imagine? But instead of saying, this is Abraham, instead of saying, are you kidding me? Sacrifice my son, the son that I love, the son I waited on all these years, no way. Abraham's response is stunning. And he's come a long ways. Listen, it's it's been over 50 years since God first appeared to him and said, you're going to have a son. Hebrew scholars, most of them say that Isaac was in his 30s. How old was Jesus when he was crucified? 
He was in his 30s. Hebrew scholars say he was in his 30s. So it's been over 50 years since God started talking to the old man. And back in those days, he's lying like a rug. I mean, he's making all kinds of excuses. He's compromising. He's losing his integrity. He's got all kinds of issues, but he keeps getting back up, moving forward. It's been a long time since those early days. He's not a new convert anymore. He's done come through Discover Life. He's done going through Lightpoint University. He's done going through seminary. He done graduated, got his MDiv. He's working on his dissertation. I mean, he's, he's come a long way since those days. And so God says, offer him up as a burnt offering. Kill him, burn him up. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. There's no hesitation. Early in the morning. He got up early in the morning. And look at the strength and determination of this old man. He's a hundred and whatever years old at this point. He had servants that could have done this for him. It says he brought two guys with him, but it says he saddled his own donkey. He split the wood himself for the burnt offering. So, you know, he's got a stump. He puts a log on the stump, you know. He rears back. Splits it. Splits it again. Starts loading it all up. He's splitting his own wood for the burnt offering. And he brought his 30-something-year-old son along. Again, fitting that pattern of Jesus. Look at verses 4 through 5. Then on the third day. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, let me go ahead and say this. On the third day is significant. In the eyes of God, the very fact that Abraham arose, split the wood, grabbed the boy, and took off in the mind of God, it was as if he was already reckoning Isaac as dead. And then as we'll see, when God spared him, it was as if he was raised from the dead. So the third day is significant, again, paralleling Jesus. So on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now, this is amazing. Abraham caused the place of obedience to the word. We could say it like this, the place of sacrificial obedience to the word. The place of extreme obedience, obedience until it hurts. He calls that worship. It's not about how high you jump. It's about how, how straight you walk when you hit the ground. 
Worship is not just performance, music. I don't care what kind of music you're talking about. If it's like Hillsong Young and Free, if it's the Hensons, if it's the Happy Goodmans, Vestal Goodman singing in that high voice, which I could do right now, but I won't do it. You see, you don't want me to do it, or you'd have been screaming for it right there. I can nail that, but I'm not going to do it. It doesn't matter if it's it's a test, it's only a test, that choir song. Forget style. It's not worship and praise. Yes, there's an element of lift your hands, bow the knee, but but clap your hands, sing, shout, all that stuff. But listen, you want to get down to the to the nitty-gritty, the meat of worship. You just do what he tells you to do, no matter what anybody says. When you crucify the flesh. You, you say yes to Jesus, no to self, no to the world, no to the devil, no to the lust of the eye, no to the lust of the flesh. You start saying no to a few things and yes to Jesus, that's worship. That is worship. He says, we're going up there to worship. What is this a place of? Testing. He told me to do this. and God, help me. I'm going to offer my boy as a sacrifice. We're going up there to worship. But then he says this, this is astounding. And we will come back to you. I don't have time to dive into that statement, but I will next week or next time. We will come back to you. I'm telling you. Abraham knew this boy had to live. And again, offer him as a burnt offering. It wasn't like, and you've heard me preach this before, that I love this story, but, but offer him as a sacrifice. And, and the Bible says that he received him as coming back from the dead. But you've got to think of it. It wasn't just like he was going to stab him and he would die and then God would, you know, heal the wound, raise him up. Abraham knew we will come back in Abraham's mind because we're going to see it. He went up the hill. It says he, he brought the knife with him. We're going up there. He brought the knife with him. He, he didn't cheat and leave it behind accidentally on purpose so when he got to the top of the mountain he could say, oh, man, I was going to do it, but I forgot the knife. And he brought the knife. He brought the instrument of death with him. He brought the wood. In Abraham's mind, it wasn't, Drew, it wasn't that he was just going to stab him and God was going to raise him up. He was going to stab him and burn him to ashes like ashes at a burn pile or like ashes in a fireplace. My boy is just a pile of ashes. And in Abraham's mind, he knew God would put them all back together somehow, some way. I mean, it's just as miraculous to raise a corpse from the dead, but to put the ashes all back together, that reminds me of the coming of the Lord. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, people are like, well, what happens when you, when, you know, you say God's going to raise up your body. What happens when you're in a cemetery and, and, and somebody plants an apple tree 
and the apple tree gets into your pine box and, and sucks some of the minerals from your remains and becomes part of the apple and then it becomes part of the fruit and, and somebody eats it and that's part of them and, you know, on and on and on. And we, we get all deep and trying to figure all that out. I'm telling you, God knows how to put it all back together. He knows every atom, every molecule, every subatomic part. He knows how to put it together. And Abraham, way back there, saw this. I'm going to kill him, burn him up, and God's going to raise him up because we're coming back. Me and my boy are coming back. He didn't go up there expecting to get off the hook. He went up there to kill his boy, burn him up, but he knew. Well, look at this next time. He knew God had to. Everybody say had to. He had to raise him from the dead. Now, this is where he had an advantage. He knew the promises. The promises involved his son, this son, and they hadn't come to pass yet. So if I kill him, if I burn him up, God will raise him from the dead. Can I just say this? I believe this with all my heart. Until God's done with you, you're not going anywhere. Get that fear out of your mind. Lay that fear to rest. God's got a plan and a purpose for my life. I'm going to submit to that plan until the, and, and that purpose. When God's done with me, then we can talk about me leaving this place. But until then, I'm unstoppable, man. You can't, devil, you can't stop me. There is nothing on this planet that can stop me. If something were to happen, God would raise me up to make sure that I accomplish the mission and the call that he has on my life. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. And so Abraham here calls this a place of worship, this place of sacrifice. Very powerful. And then verses 6 through 8. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, took the fire in his hand, so I don't know, like, I don't know if he had a Zippo. Like, I don't understand that exactly. Maybe some flint rocks or something. But he took the fire. Maybe he had a torch. Maybe it was just a bick, right? And a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire, the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, this is prophetic, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now, verses 6 and 8 say they went together. The Hebrew literally says the two of them went in agreement. Amos 3.3 asks, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Stand with me right now. The idea of sacrifice, if you'll remember, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, you'll remember when man fell, eyes of them are open, they're naked, they're ashamed, they, they cover up with fig leaves. And what does God do? Kills the animals, clothes them in those skins, 
what happened there? The animals were skinned. The animals died. Blood was shed. And God instructed Adam and Eve in this way of approaching God by means of blood, sacrifice. It was gruesome. It was grisly. But it was to help them understand how far they had fallen. Because it didn't look like a lot had changed immediately. They just felt guilty. And he wanted them to know this is a devastating fall. We still feel the effects of the fall today. And so he shed blood. Well, they caught their boys. We see where Cain obeyed or disobeyed and Abel obeyed, offered the lamb, the blood. And then we see the blood again and again. The, the lamb offered, calling on the name of the Lord. We've talked about that so much. Well, Abraham was privy to that. We saw in the end of chapter 21, it said that he, there he called the name, on the name of the Lord, called that place the Lord Everlasting. So here's the idea. Abraham was looking like his ancestors before him for the seed of the woman. I believe Abraham knew that Isaac was part of that promise. Probably thought he was the seed of the woman that was rumored in his day. And he shared this information with his son. That's the point. They walked in agreement. He shared with his 30-something-year-old boy the information. Isaac, you remember I've talked to you about the seed of the woman. Your son, your mama and me, we believe that's you. Or at the very least, we believe you have a role to play. Because he told me everybody would be blessed because of you. And so you've got a role to play. He's asked me to, asked me to do this thing. But son, please don't be afraid. Submit to what I'm saying. Because if you will, God will raise you up. Now again, here we have this shared information. Uh, this, this picture of Jesus with Isaac. Both were loved by their father. Both offered themselves willingly. Both carried wood up the hill of their own sacrifice. Both were sacrificed on the same hill. Very close at the very least. Both were delivered from death, as I mentioned, on the third day. So he's explaining to him. And Isaac says, you know what? Here I am. He's a 30-year-old man. Abraham's 100-something years old. He could have gotten away. He submits. And as he goes, as, as, he, as Abraham, I can't even imagine, as he goes to plunge the knife, this is very important. Again, it's not God. It doesn't say God said. You won't find that in the text. It doesn't say, and God said, now I know that you love me. If you'll remember, when God called him, he said, take your son, your only son, the son that you love. God already knew what was in Abraham's heart. He could see love in his heart. Nothing's hidden from the mind and the eyes of God. He knew what was in Abraham's heart. I'll tell you who didn't know. The angel. The angel didn't know because the angels are not omnipotent. Omniscient. They don't know everything. We'll look at that next time. 
bottom line is this. Isaac is submitted. Abraham is submitted. It's all about the plan of God coming to pass. He goes to plunge the knife. The angel says, stop, stop. Abraham, Abraham, listen, don't do your son any harm. There's a ram caught over here in the thicket. Just like, listen, just like Hagar got a revelation of a well, Abraham got a revelation of a lamb. Nice little lamb caught in some thorns. Poor fella didn't know what happened. God was shepherding him along. Get over here. Get over here. Oh, there you go. Right in those thorns right there. He's stuck, you know. Perfect. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Drama's taking place. Focused. Stop. The angel says, now I know. I'm going to tell you something. Angels watch what you do with the word. Angels watch what I do with the word. You want angels to be on your side? That's a whole other subject. Baby angels. All oh, this kind of stuff gets on my nerves. That, that we, we have all these ideas. But angels are mighty. My, the mighty angels of God. You want angels to be on your side? Hey, you don't have to pray to angels. You don't have to command angels per se. Here's what you do. You do what, G, what the Lord says. You do the word. They watch what you do with that word. You want to release angels to help you in your life? Just live in submission to the word of God. Amen. Can you lift your hands to him right now? Jesus, we love you so much. What a good, good God you are.